Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. And I have a son, Adam, who's 33 years old, and he's our only child. He gave us no problems as a teenager or as a little boy. And as a young adult, he didn't drink. He didn't smoke, and he didn't do drugs, and we were very fond. We were very proud of him. When Adam was 13, we got our first computer, and we made it a rule that whenever he was in the office, the door would remain open so we could see the monitor from the hallway, and we would go in periodically and check on him, and we thought that was working. When Adam was 17, he came to us and asked if he could install an external hard drive on our computer. His reason being that he wanted to download music. And uh, Rob and I were not exactly techies. We believed what he wanted. We had no reason not to believe him, and we let him install the external hard drive. By the time Adam was 24, he had his own home. He had a good job, and he was taking classes at Kalamazoo Valley. The future looked really bright for Adam, but he had a dark secret. That external hard drive that he had asked for had not been for music. He was sneaking into our office at night, and he was downloading pornographic pictures of little boys on it. When he moved into his own home, his addiction escalated. He became friends online with a pedophile who was a school teacher in Florida. And they boasted about their exploitations to each other. What neither of them knew was the FBI was watching this teacher. And eventually, his home was raided and his computer was seized. Those computer files led the FBI right to Adam. And in October of 2007, Adam's home was raided as well, and his computer was seized. Adam would not tell us why his home was raided. The only way we knew is because his neighbor had called us at work and told us that Adam's home was surrounded by the police. Adam still would not disclose what was going on, and for four months, we could only speculate. Adam did, however, give his attorney permission to call us if he needed to. And four months later, we got a phone call from the attorney saying that the FBI had found over 150,000 pornographic pictures of little boys on Adam's computer. Rob and I were devastated. We were shocked. How could our child do this? We went to him. We asked him, were you molested? Did something happen we don't know about? Did we do something? Did we say something? He said, no, Mom. 
He said at middle school, he and some of his, some of his friends were talking about the dark side of the internet. And out of curiosity, Adam decided to check it out. It didn't take him very long to realize that he was addicted. He said he knew that his life was never going to be the same. He did not know how to tell us. He was embarrassed. He was ashamed. Adam was arrested in April of 2008, and for the next six months, he spent time in various county jails across the state. Adam was sentenced in October of 2008, and there were other charges brought against him as well. However, the judge said that the majority of the sentence was based on the fact that he considered every one of those little boys in those photos a victim. Adam was sentenced to 30 years in federal prison with no early parole and lifetime supervision. In closing, I just want to say that please, please don't think for a second that something like this can't happen to you or your friends or your family because it happens to good people from good families every day. Thank you. Thank you for sharing with us. We love you, don't we guys? Thanks for sharing, Elaine. Um, just want to commend her bravery in sharing that story. Uh, it's a tough one to share. It's a heartbreaker, I mean. <laughs> um, the point is that, like she said, this affects families, you know, within our four walls of our church. Families are affected by this issue. That's why we need to tackle it. Um, for some, that issue goes very deep. Like, you know, like this story, it went very far for Adam. For others, it lingers maybe at a shallower level, but still with destructive results. And so we want to tackle this issue head on. We want to get the topic out there today. And we want to give you perspective um, and practical steps that you can take to get free if you're not or to offer freedom to others who struggle in this area. And like I said, as a church, we want, to, we want to be a place where, you know, someone like Adam could come and say, I need help, you know, and find love and acceptance and help that they need and support to come out of something like that. So let's dive in. All right. Why talk about porn in church? I heard it's important when you make... Uh, a message to use the same letter for the beginning of every point. So I have three P's for you. Porn is prevalent in our culture. It's powerful in its negative effects. And it's a perversion of God's design for sexuality. So let's talk about each of those real quick. P number one, prevalent. I don't think I have to convince you of how prevalent this topic is. Oh, by the way, We'll probably run a little over today. If, if we get to the normal stopping time and you have to go, we won't be offended if you stand up. That is fine. Um, it's a big topic and we'll, it just takes a little time to get through this. So we will run over a little bit. Heads up. All right. Porn is prevalent. Do I have to convince you? 
Do you drive down our highways and see our billboards? Do you watch TV? Do you see the magazine racks? They are different than they were 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, there's an escalation of sexuality in our culture. It's out there more and more. Um, 12% of all internet sites are pornography. That's a lot. 10 to 14 billion, with a B, dollars are spent on porn every year. That's greater than or equal to the amount we spend on foreign aid as a country. Yikes. 70% of men ages 18 to 34 look at porn in a typical month, which is crazy. 7-0, not 17, 7-D. That is huge. Um, I'm 34. I'm coming out of that window. Go Mensers. Um, <laughs> unfortunately for us, Micah is about to turn 8. And 90% of children ages 8 to 16 have viewed porn. My little Micah <laughs> is coming into that window. Go Mensers, we better uh, be on the ball, right? Um, <clears throat> one in six women struggle with a porn addiction. You know, this used to be viewed as a, a man problem, a man issue, to be talked about in men's group. Our world is changing. More and more women in our culture struggle with this issue because it is out there so much. Um, all right, enough about that. It's prevalent. You know that. It's powerful. Porn has powerful negative effects on us. It actually changes the brain physiologically. There are studies that I read and stuff that I could share, but just believe me when I say that it restructures how your brain works if you use it on a regular basis. They're basically pathways built in the brain, like a stream bed gets ground out and the water flows. Um, a person's brain can go to that place easier and easier the more that they use this stuff. It's been compared to heroin. It's very, very similar how it affects your brain. The addictive patterns are very similar to heroin. This strikes at the core of a marriage. You know, Cameron did a great job covering about sexuality and marriage, how it's designed, what it does on in good ways, in destructive ways, but pornography use really strikes at the core of a marriage. It breaks down that important bond. Um, it destroys trust. Um, it hurts, in short. <laughs> it affects kids. Pornography use in the home, whether they stumble on it, which is how most people see porn for the first time, from dad or uncles or whoever's. Like I said, it's not just a man problem anymore. They stumble onto something. But also the attitudes of a user are changed. There are studies that show that. Their view of the world, of themselves, of other people are changed, and that will rub off on our kids um, if it's affecting us. As a dad with a daughter, how would I look at Aaliyah if I use pornography regularly and then she hits, you know, young womanhood? You know, would I hug her as much as I should with an innocent, loving dad hug, or would that be affected would it diminish the positive affection that I could give her? I think it would. And I don't want that to happen. I want to love on her like no other. Um, so it affects our kids. Like I said, your sons, men will pick up the attitudes if you have attitudes that are affected by this. And then worldwide, slavery and abuse is driven by pornography. Whether you pay one red cent or not to a service, if you click on their website, they are making money. We live in a very advertisement-driven um, economy. 
You know, Facebook is selling advertisements based on our viewing patterns, and the same is true in this arena. You don't have to pay pornographic website money for them to make money off of you. Just that quick does it. And, in, and the result is that people are traded like objects, put into slavery, and abused. Um, so it's important that we don't contribute to that. And that we help people who, who are, you know? All right. Porn is perverse. It's a perversion or a twisting of God's design for sex. Cameron covered this. This is a repeat, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. Unless the clicker doesn't advance, then we've got to spend more time on it. <laughs> but sex was created for our good and our pleasure, right? Did God see Adam and Eve have sex for the first time and go, Oh my goodness, what have I done? They really like it. Oh! <laughs> what do I do now? Okay, no. <laughs> He created it for our good, for our pleasure, for two to be joined into one flesh. It's created for our good. Cameron drew a picture on the easel, you know, to show how it binds us together, body, soul, and spirit with our spouse. And in the context of marriage, that's a really, really good thing. In the context of pornography use, it's a really, really bad thing. Because sexual gratification works like glue, whether it's your spouse or something else. And you can't be glued to a lot of stuff and have a deep, intimate relationship with your spouse. It just wrecks it. Porn will shape a person. Like we said, physiologically in the brain, but also our decisions, our choices build up over a lifetime and shape us into a certain kind of person. You know, if you choose to show up at church every Sunday your whole life, that shapes you, you know. You are used to waking up on Sunday morning. Well, people are still sleeping, right? Simple thing, but it shapes you. Repeated pornography use will shape a person. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go along. I was going to read you the C.S. Lewis quote that talks about that, but I just summed it up instead to save a little time. What is porn really? Anyone? Anyone? Just kidding. Um, I say it's a self-centered and alternate reality. And I say that it's a false comfort. So again, we'll look at each of these in detail. Alright, how is it a self-centered alternate reality? I think it plays on consumerism. We see this in other areas in our culture, but um, it's this instant gratification in the sexual arena. Right? It tells a person whatever you want, whatever you want, at the click of a button, boom, it's there for you. Kind of like uh, the sex version of fast food. All i got to do is get to that drive through and boom, McDonald's will have me out in 30 seconds with a burger. Mmm. Right? But if that's all I eat or what I eat every day, um, I get really, really used to that instant gratification. Again, it's shaping a person. Shaping. Sh- yeah. Shaping a <laughs> person. Nice one. Um, Right? It's kind of, it's consumeristic in the way that you can pick and choose what you want in the sexual arena if, if you're using pornography. Are you bored with what you have? Just click over to the other website. Get the other thing, whatever you want. In first service, I compared it to an industry near and dear to my heart, cereal. I work for Post Foods in Battle Creek. We make cereal, the best cereal. <laughs> he said that just for TNC. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask Marty what he thinks is the best cereal. He works for Kellogg's. But you go to the cereal aisle, and he, he likes one of ours, though. 
And then, in turn, our kids like some of the killing cereals. Don't tell on me. Okay, so you go to the cereal aisle, right? And what do you see? You see post cereals and nothing else. That's not how your, your grocery store has more than post. Oh, okay. Yeah, you see Kellogg's, General Mills, Quaker, and oh dear, Malto Meal. Not Malto Meal, they're thorn in our side. But anyway, you can pick and choose. And it's kind of the same here, right? There's this consumeristic aspect to pornography. Whatever you want, it's available to you. And if you let that be catered to, it develops you into a certain kind of person. A self-centered kind of person. What I want, I can get. Click, click, click. Alright, alternate reality. <clears throat> so, uh, this thing on the internet that you can click and get sexual gratification is not like real-world relationships. Um, has anyone ever gone to a porn... Oh, don't raise your hand. Um, to a, a porn website and seen a sign that says, Hey, we're not feeling well. We'll be back on uh, Tuesday. Come on back when we're feeling better. You know? When you go to the grocery store and it just closed, okay, maybe that doesn't work because Meyer's always open, but if you did <laughs> have a grocery store that closed and you show up after hours, right? You've got to come back the next day. In the real world, you have to wait for things sometimes. And even in the sexual arena, when it's set up right between a husband and a wife, there are sometimes you can't have sex together and you wait until you can. If I go out of town for business, we got to wait until I get back. Or vice versa, when Marilee goes on the women's retreat this spring, we got to wait until she gets back. <laughs> I don't think I could sneak in. You share cabins, right? So that's not going to work. All right. Oh, that would be fun to try. Okay. I digress. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> what am I saying? In the real world, sometimes you have to wait. Um, but you don't in the alternate reality of porn. You never have to wait. It's always there. It's always available. right? And it demands nothing from the user. You don't have to do anything for them, especially with the ad-driven thing. You don't even have to pay. You can just have whatever you want for free anytime. Click of a button. In fact, they want that because it drives their ads. That's not how a real relationship works. How good would our marriage be if I took from Marilee, took from Marilee, took from Marilee, ate delicious food she made me, received all kinds of affection and love from her, and I gave her none back? It wouldn't work. <laughs> we wouldn't stay married very long, right? It would, it would wilt and die, this relationship of ours. It's a two-way street. And in fact, it works that when I give... She's motivated to give back and it becomes, it builds on itself in this really, really positive way where you give to each other. It motivates the other to give. They give more to you and you have this wonderful thing going on. Well, not in the alternate reality of porn. There's no give. Not at all. And uh, we're going to talk about this more, but <clears throat> it is separate from God's reality. It's separate from how He wants us to do life and do relationships. Alright, moving on. Porn is false comfort. That was the other thing. This alternate self-centered reality and false comfort. So, PBS even says this. If you don't believe me, or you think it's just church people who say what I'm about to say, go to PBS. They've got a porn article. And uh, I, I think this quote is from like an institute that studies this stuff. Very uh, liberal-minded. Very 
pro-porn or whatever they'd say. Okay, so the quote is, more often than perhaps assumed, people don't use it because it feels good, but because it makes them feel better. A subtle distinction. What does that mean? It means that people aren't using pornography to satisfy themselves sexually as much as they're using it to fill a gap in another area of their life. My day went bad. I'm bored. My friend hurt my feelings. And porn offers a false comfort to that person. Right? I got in a fight with my wife today. I'm feeling down. I failed at work. Something didn't go good. The sale fell through. My engineering solution was a flop. My boss rode me like no other today. There's comfort for you is what porn says. And it's a false message. You know, it says... Life's going bad right now, but we're here for you with a smiling face. Just click on us. Click on our website. You know, people, people might have rejected you today, but we don't. These are false comfort messages. You know, you don't feel like you measure up today. You're welcome here. And the problem with that, <clears throat> because it's true, they are always there for you. That's true, but it's false comfort in the sense that true, satisfying comfort that you need comes from God. Not from this, not from alcohol, not from a grand life adventure, not from having an awesome circle of friends or that perfect hipster outfit to wear out on the weekend, not from, you know, uh, chocolate that you can always turn to. That's not true comfort. That's not lasting comfort unless it's given to you by God, right? We're going to talk about this a lot as it, as it goes on, but that's little taste of, of the comfort side of this issue. At its core, porn use really rejects the belief that God is good. And you might think that's a strange thing to boil porn use down to, but that's where I boil it down to. Because if God is good, then His reality is good. And it's to be embraced. If I really believe that God is good, then I am going to embrace the reality set before me today. If God is really good, then I can believe that His comfort is enough, that it is the best. If God is really good, then I would believe that His reward waits on the other side of my circumstance. So, bad stuff happens to good people in this world. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> you know, people are martyred for their faith even today. Not so much in our country, but around the world. And historically, they, it, it's always happened. That's kind of the ultimate bad circumstance when I think about him. Is God still good? Yes. He is. Because even if our negative circumstance ends in death, which is kind of the ultimate negative circumstance, what waits on the other side for the believer is an eternal redemption of those circumstances. So whether your whole life is a negative circumstance or not, and you live 120 years... Nice job, you eat healthy. Um, eternity of bliss. Eternity in God's presence. Every single day is a redemption of that. Every single day in God's goodness over eternity is going to make the, the negative circumstance pale in comparison. Right? So God can redeem all things. He can redeem all things. And that's a key to embracing our reality today. If it's not going good, do I believe that God is good? 
and embrace the negative circumstance, look for his comfort in that time, or do I go look to supplement or add to reality with something for myself? I'm having quicker issues. That's why it's moving a little slow in between slides. So Marilee is going to share with you for a few minutes. Yes, I had a few things I wanted to say. I'm just so um, proud of Bill. Yeah. just want to honor him in front of everyone. Thank you for being willing to talk about this tough subject and bring hope. And um, that really is our heart. There's so much hope um, that God has available for you. And um, the enemy doesn't want you to know that, though. But, so... Um, I want to talk about comfort a little bit. This idea of false comfort just really got me thinking, like, if we're creating a false comfort, then we really must have a need for true comfort, for comfort, you know? And um, it's, as I was looking into this in the scriptures, I'm just realizing comfort is vitally important to humankind. It is of utmost importance to each of us. So much so that Jesus told his disciples that it would be better for him to leave. Jesus, flesh and blood in the body, better for him to leave so that the Father could send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. So, wow, comfort must be really important. I can't wrap my brain around how important that is. So, anyway, what is the Holy Spirit's purpose? It's to live, um, the Holy Spirit lives in Christians, so we're never alone. So comfort is always available, and to convict us of sin. So these things are necessary um, because this once perfect, perfect world is now full of sin. We were never meant to deal with pain, death, sickness, heartache. And now we deal with it constantly because of sin. Because of that, we are in need of a constant comforter. And the Holy Spirit is that to us and available to bring us that. And he is so good at comforting. He knows exactly what we need and how to meet those needs. He knows how to truly satisfy you, to truly calm you, to truly bring the deepest fulfillment. Um, to any void that you have in your heart. He knows how to bring true joy. And so what happens is um, if we get stressed or overwhelmed um, from our day, um, what we need to do is go to God, say, God, oh, I'm feeling stressed, I'm feeling overwhelmed, oh, you know, cry if you need to, whatever, but go to him, tell him how you're feeling. He meets you in that place, comforts you, supplies your needs, and he also will meet your, your um, emotional and physical needs as well. He might have sleep for you, if you're feeling that way. He might have a really restful, amazing night's sleep for you, and that's how he's providing for you physically. Um, let's say you're sad and depressed. You go to God and you tell him how you're feeling. He provides comfort for you through the scriptures. You feel warmth on your body. However the Holy Spirit wants to do it, he'll do it. You'll start to feel that comfort. And then he might offer a friend, like a really good friend, to just talk to and you feel comforted through that friendship. He could offer sex with your spouse. That's a comfort that he could provide to you. Um, there's just so many things that he can do. Let's say you're really worn out. What should we do? Everybody, go to God. So we go to God. God, I'm worn out. Oh, I'm just, just, I'm at the end of my rope or whatever. 
or I'm just so hungry or something. I've been working so hard. And you're eating. And he might all of a sudden make that meal so satisfying where you feel so satisfied by that food in the depth of your being. And, um, and it's from him. But we go wrong when we bypass that God step and we go straight to that thing that he used to provide us comfort. We go straight to that to provide our own comfort. And that is a false comfort and that is what pornography is, is a false comfort. Um, and I see this um, happen the first time in the Garden of Eden with Eve. In Genesis 3, 6, it says, Eve was convinced. The serpent had, had tempted her and she was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and that its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom that it would offer she wanted the wisdom that it would offer. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. She kind of bypassed that God step, didn't she? she? She wanted wisdom, and so she took that good thing. But because she did it in her own strength, it became a bad thing. And the result? Shame. She felt shame. And that is also the result of someone who um, tries to provide their own comfort through porn or other things. But I, I was kind of thinking about this, and I was like, what, what would have happened if Eve had gone to God and not skipped that step, you know? What if she'd gone to him and said, God, I really think wisdom is cool. You're really wise. I want to be like you. Could you, you know, give me some wisdom? What do you think he would have done? I think he would have. It says in James, he gives li wisdom liberally to all who ask in faith. So what she wanted was a good thing. These things are good things over here. Not pornography, but sex in the right way is. And all the other ones I mentioned. But they're not when we go in our own strength and do it apart from God. Um, so um, I want to give you an analogy, a word picture to describe um, the way Satan views pornography and the way God views it. <clears throat> so how many of you like board games? Who likes to play board games? I do. It's fun. So I want to uh, show you two board games. This board, board game over here is called Slavery to Porn. And Satan created this board game and, and the rules that govern this game. And um, it's dark there. There's no light. It's full of shame. It's full of lies. Um, and the, the progression, if you are a piece in this board game, is there's not an end. It just kind of swirls deeper and deeper, more and more inward. There's never like a satisfying end or a finish. It's just more and more, and, and it's full of destruction. And real quiet, don't tell anybody you have this problem. You know, don't ever even imagine that you would tell anybody, especially not in church. Okay, so that's what, that's what Satan says. Um, or um, maybe the person over here isn't necessarily ashamed of it. Maybe they're like, this is just just fine. Okay, the enemy might be lying to that person that, that that's their right, that that's somehow a good thing for them. He's got all kinds of ugly lies. But anyway, that's that game board. The end is destruction. The end is hopelessness. The end is two tiny seconds of a tiny bit of happiness and then despair. That's what that game board is like. The other one over here is God's game board. And it is called Freedom from Pornography. And it is in the light. 
There's no shame there. It's very bright. And there's tons of love. And there's tons of forgiveness. And there's um, hope. And there's encouragement. And um, the progression on the board is one that leads to true, deep fulfillment. Where all the voids in your heart are filled. And there's true um, completeness on the inside. And you get to choose which board to play on. If you're over here, it's as simple as saying, I'm going to step into the light. It's just a choice. It's just a word. It's just a decision. And, it's, and then you can start your journey in the light. And that's one reason why we're talking about this. We wanted to bring this into the light. We want to open it up and um, take it out of the darkness. That's where the enemy wants it in the darkness. Um, so if you are a woman struggling with this, we saw that this is becoming more and more common. You know, these same uh, tips that Bill's going to share of how to get freedom from this um, will apply to you too. It's going to help you too. And there's um, freedom for you to have your um, heart truly satisfied by God and not this. And also, I just want to say real quick, if you are a woman whose spouse is struggling, or maybe your fiancé or boyfriend or whatever, um, I just want you to know that it's not your fault that, that um, they're struggling with this. The enemy would want you to think that. Um, the true problem is in your um, spouse's heart, that there's something there's something not being satisfied um, in their heart. It's not because there's something wrong with you. It's not your fault. And God can bring you healing too from the pain of the sin because it affects. Um, it's a sin that affects your family and your spouse as well. Um, but also know that you being the spouse... God will often use you as his conduit of love and comfort for your spouse. But the problem, the original problem, it's not your fault that they're doing that. All right. Good. Good. Thank you. That's excellent. I'm really glad Marilee was willing to um, support me in this, but also share her perspective on it. It's really, really good. Do you guys remember the commercial for the Game of Life? Years ago, like I remember being a kid and it was like, you can be a winner at the game of life. Anybody? Yeah. Let's be winners at the game of life. <laughs> Let's play by God's rules. Let's play his game. Yeah. So much better for us. So how to overcome, or how do we help others overcome in this area? <clears throat> and you're going to find, I'll say again and again, how these things that we're sharing apply to other issues as well. You know, just like we said, running to pornography for comfort, we can sometimes run to other things for comfort. And getting free from false comfort can be common, you know, a common um, thing as it is for somebody struggling with pornography. So here's what we're going to look at for how to overcome, how to live free. What is the standard for success? Um, what is God's response to those who struggle? And what are the practical steps to take to live free, to overcome. All right, so you got to start with what are we aiming for, the standard for success. God's standard for success in this area of sexuality and in all areas of life 
is perfection. Total 100% holiness and perfection. And does that bring you hope and joy and peace and life? It should actually, because (laughs) we've all fallen short of perfection. Romans says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, so you're not alone if you've fallen short in this area or in another area. In this area, Jesus said, I tell you, anyone that looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So that's a, that's a lofty standard in this area. It's not just, um, you know, what website have you gone to, but it's a condition of the heart, just walking around in daily life. And so, God's standard is perfection. How is that not shaming? How does that not make you feel bad? Jesus Christ is the short answer, right? God's standard is perfection and complete holiness, but He made a way through one man, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, lived a sinless life on this earth, went to a cross, wrongly accused and was killed. He really died. On the third day, He really rose again, according to the Scriptures, as we say in the Nicene Creed. And um, He's our way to God. He is our way to perfection. Ultimately, we become perfect when Jesus returns. When sin and this world as it's set up now is done away with, God establishes a new rule, a new reign, a new heaven and a new earth, and we live totally 100% free from sin forever. But in the meantime, it looks like starting a relationship with Him, believing in Jesus as your way to have your sins forgiven, to be made holy and pure in His sight. And then it's a journey of living in relationship with God. Even though we still mess up sometimes, we begin to mature and we move toward that perfection in how we live our daily life. So, how does God respond to people who are struggling with sin? Particularly this kind of sin. I would give you three points, people of New Day. Number one, He protects us from shame. Number two, He offers grace and mercy or forgiveness. And number three, a call to live free and pure. In that order, I think that order is really, really crucial. So let's look at a verse that shows us these three things in action in that order and uh, talk about that a little bit. So in John chapter 8, Um, I don't know what Jesus was up to, probably hanging out with his disciples, and uh, the religious people of the day had caught a woman in adultery. And so what do they do? What you always do. You pick up stones that you're going to throw at her and kill her. But on the way, let's stop and see if we can catch Jesus in a little religious trap. So they bring her to him, and they start questioning him about her situation. And... As they're questioning him, it says, He straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So I'm going to hop back. Do you see the, that order I talked about in her story? 
It's powerful. I'm going to lose it just talking about it. She was about to get killed with rocks. (laughs) And Jesus' very first thing he does isn't to join in with those heaping shame on her, but to send them away. If you're without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. That was a pretty clear statement that no one was going to throw a stone at her. He protected her. And the second thing he said to her after they went away is, neither do I condemn you. So he protected her and then he didn't condemn her. He offered her forgiveness, grace, mercy, love, acceptance. And then a call to live free and pure. Go and leave your life of sin. Live, Live my way. So, I've been, I've been a Christian for a long time, since I was a little kid. And for a long, long time, I really had it backwards. <laughs> I had it backwards. I had the go and sin no more as number one. I thought that's what God wanted first for me. And if I could get it right, maybe I would find forgiveness and grace and mercy. And maybe then I would be free from shame. In all areas of life, you know? And it was exactly backwards. And that's why this story is so powerful. I finally get it. I hope you guys get it too. That it goes the other way around. No matter what you're struggling with, God loves you. It doesn't diminish that perfection standard. If God diminished His standard, then people who do wrong and wrong us If he diminished the standard, it wouldn't be just, it wouldn't be right to do. But instead, he can keep justice intact and make a way for us. And this is what it looks like. Whatever you're struggling with, Jesus says, you know, there's no shame. I don't heap shame on you, neither do I condemn you. And he calls us toward perfection. In that order, it's powerful. And it's doable. It's doable. Okay, sorry. Um, overcoming practical steps. <clears throat> so to overcome in this area and in other areas, here's what I propose we do. Get to know God's goodness for yourself. Get to know God's comfort firsthand. And start a winning snowball. <laughs> kind of a Dave Ramsey steal there. But we'll talk about each of these, alright? So get to know God's goodness firsthand. I'm going to keep crying just so you're prepared. Brace yourself. Alright, so I want to whet your appetite for God's goodness. I'm just going to throw a few areas where God is good at you. And then you have, to, you have homework. You have to go and work on experiencing God's goodness firsthand. Go and find an application where He can show you what these verses talk about. But God offers forgiveness. He's so good, He offers forgiveness. What kind of forgiveness? And Solomon says He's put our sins as far as the east is from the west away from us. That's far. And that is good. Protection from shame. We just talked about this. Neither do I condemn you. Hear those words in your life somewhere from God. Find a place where He can speak that to you. In Romans it says, He demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a big love. You've got to find it personally. I knew the verse for a long, long time, but you've got to find that love for you personally. You've got to experience it to truly transform. Acceptance. In John it says, To all who received Him... So those who called on His name, He gave the right to be called children of God. What does it mean to be adopted into God's family? What does that acceptance really feel like? Good is what it feels like. It feels good. 
<laughs> Hope in Jeremiah 29, 11, frequently quoted verse. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. There's hope, and that is good. All right, so get to know God's goodness. Please get to know God's goodness. That's the only finger I point is, please get to know God's goodness. Get to know God's comfort. How does He want to comfort you personally? How does He want you to experience His comfort? This is where I cry, just so you're prepared again. So when I was seven years old, my dad died, and we obviously had a funeral. And um, I just remember being at that funeral, seven years old, kind of in a sea of legs, you know, because all the adults were like twice as tall as you. So you're just like there, and hey, there goes some blue jeans. Oh, they, they dressed up a little more, <laughs> whatever. And it's kind of a confusing time for a seven-year-old. You kind of feel alone, not because my family wasn't there for me. They definitely were. My mom was, has been terrific to me my whole life. But um, you end up feeling alone in that situation, I'll just tell you. And you feel confused because you're a kid. And you shouldn't have to deal with that, but you do. And um, a couple months ago, Marilee was praying with me about that particular memory and that issue. And, um, you know, I could just picture seven-year-old Bill. I could picture myself there. And we just asked God, what do you want to say or do for me? And um, he reminded me of my second-grade teacher who came to the funeral. And, uh, like, she didn't know anybody else except me. She came specifically for me. And I remember, I, I don't know if this is exactly how it was, but here's how I remember it. She was sitting on the couch and I kind of like turned around from the confusion and what was going on and saw her sitting there waiting for me. And the windows were behind her and the sunlight streaming in and it was very angelic as I remember it. You know, and she was there just to give me a hug and she did. And um, God said he made a plan for my comfort. It's like a cycle. I do it and then you guys do it and then it makes it harder for me to not do it. <laughs> Get it together, Teresa. I need you. <laughs> I looked at her and she got me totally. Um, <laughs> that was really, really powerful to hear God say. You know, just in a time of prayer, I, we were laying in our bed. The kids were asleep and barely, you know, helped kind of lead me in that prayer. And it was so, so powerful. That he made a plan. He was thinking about how, what comfort I needed, and he made a plan. And it spoke to me so deeply. So, fast forward, I'm 34 years old. I'm not seven anymore. Although I may act like it sometimes. Where do you think I tend to go for comfort after having that experience with God? It's to him, you know, more than ever before. I've known his comfort, you know, I've experienced his comfort in a powerful way. Um, and then, why would I seek another comfort? It doesn't offer that. <laughs> I'll tell you what, nothing offers that. Alright, so other areas where God's shown me comfort. This is where I get it back together. Dog ears. <laughs> Plain and simple dog ears. <laughs> Almost my entire life growing up, we've had dogs. They've always been some kind of Labrador mix. And they've got those kind of perky, velvety ears that you just want to like, oh, you little doggy dog, right? 
And I've just loved, I've just always loved cuddling with the dog. When I was a little kid, I'd call our one dog into bed with me when I was scared. And when I was in high school, I worked at Kmart just down the street from our house one summer. I'd come home on lunch break just to take a nap and cuddle with the dog. And, uh, and even today, we've got a Coonhound Black Lab mix who's mischievous and a lot to handle. It's love-hate. But I love to pet his velvety soft ears. You know, and God just spoke to me about how he's used that to comfort me for my whole life. And so now every time I grab those ears, you little, her dog's name is Moo Moo, you little Moo Moo, you little, oh, you did something naughty, but I still pet him. <laughs> Why did you chew up that toy? But I'm still receiving comfort from those ears. And I receive it as from God, you know, every single time. Okay, enough about the dog thing. So my wife and kids offer me comfort in tons of ways. The kids crack me up all the time. Marilee is such a great wife. She greets me when I come home. Her smile, her love, it, it, is, it means a lot to me um, after a stressful day. And I'm learning how to receive that as from God as well. It was always comforting, but now I give God credit where maybe I didn't before for that comfort too. It's been really, really good. Exploring that as his comfort firsthand. All right, practical steps. This is the last thing. The winning snowball. So as someone begins to overcome in an area of life, it builds momentum. You know, picture the cartoons, maybe Frosty the Snowman or whatever. The snowball goes down the hill and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and faster and faster. And then kids get sucked up into it. Wow, you see a leg, you see an arm. Ah. Okay, so that's the idea here. So where does it start? The snowball gets rolling at the beginning with the verse from 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee sexual immorality. What this means is create an environment in your home, in your car, the places where you go, where you have the power to do so. Create a safe environment so that you don't have to be strong at all times so that you don't have to always be able to fend off temptation flee from temptation in the first place don't have that stuff in your life and make it harder that might mean changing what magazines you subscribe to you know obviously if it's pornography (laughs) but maybe less obviously if it's us people whatever the magazine is that has stuff in it that is a problem or that your spouse subscribes to that is a problem, flee from that. Don't have it around. It just makes life harder. You know what? Do you have a favorite TV show you like to watch? Do you need to turn it off during commercials? Do you need to get a DVR so you can skip the commercials that have stuff in it? Does the show itself have stuff in it? Is that making it harder for you? Flee sexual immorality. Okay? Then James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Free from you. (laughs) All right. Um, So what does that mean? Again, it's fleeing, but I think it kind of looks like this. There's the sin. I'm fleeing from sin. I'm running to God. Merely is God in this example. I'm running to God, receiving comfort, receiving goodness. (laughs) And then... We can together turn and look at that thing and it's going to flee from us. Right? There's your turning point. Flee from sin until it flees from you. 
it speaks to the fact that it gets easier, that you can build momentum in overcoming and finding freedom. In the meantime, Psalm says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. So, in this area or any area, when you have that moment of clarity where you go, oh my gosh, I just blew it. God is a present help. So rather than a mindset of, oh my gosh, I just blew it, I'm so bad, I can't pray to God until I shed 1,000 tears. And that takes 10 days. Right? So you don't pray for 10 days. Instead, believe that God is good, believe He's your protector from shame, and welcome Him into that moment. I mean, seriously, even if there's something still on the screen in front of you that you know is wrong, pray. God, I'm so sorry. Oh, what did I just do, you know? Or if you ran to a different false comfort, you just drank. Oh my gosh, I'm drunk. I know that's wrong. God, will you be a present help? Help me to come out of this. I want to play on your board by your rules and I want to, I want to move to freedom with you. God will meet you. I believe He will. He is a present help in times of trouble. And then <clears throat> the goal is, before you get to the, the forehead slap, oh, <laughs> that you pray, God, I am feeling tempted you know, to go get drunk, to run to chocolate instead of you, to look at pornography, or whatever the thing is. God, I'm feeling tempted, but you're present, you're good. What is, I've experienced your comfort before, and this is what it looked like. I'm going to say that out loud in prayer and remind myself, and I'm going to look for you. And again, you can build momentum there. All right? So run to God for comfort. Embrace God's reality. Find His goodness. And it gets easier. Just how we talked about pornography and drugs can actually build pathways in your brain. Let's try to build positive pathways that run to God for comfort, that proclaim His goodness no matter what's going on. Wear out those paths in your mind until it's where you go without even thinking about it. All right? So with that, we're going to close.